Hey everyone, you're listening to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. My name is Andrew. It's summer, the weather's great. I hope you're doing well today, wherever you're listening to this from. Whenever you're listening to this, it's such an honor to connect in with you. The beating heart of our church is to provoke a deep hunger and longing for Jesus in your life and in my life. And I hope that these series weeks, this this series called Foundations has really been stirring in you. Today, uh, this is the wrap up of this very loose section called Power Gifts. Now, I'm saying that's loose because that's not a definition Paul gives or scripture gives. And in fact, when we're talking about this whole subject matter of manifestations of the spirit, we need to hold some of the categories and the lists and all of that stuff, some of the ways we've thought about it very loosely. I'll get into all of that in this episode. We have a few more weeks of this foundation series, and then we're going to move on to some new stuff for the rest of the summer here in Niagara. Again, it's an honor and a privilege to connect in with you. I wanna let you know, as I talked about the gift of faith this week, I got, things got a bit spicy and I got a little bit, um, even for me, I was very direct, I guess. And as I was debriefing, and processing with Rochelle, my wife, she she was like, oh boy, you, you really were direct. And I just want you to know that yes, I was direct. Maybe you could say spicy, but I'm not, I, none of this came with sort of uh, judgment. None of this came with, I wasn't, I'm not angry. I'm not, um, you know, this is not kind of like, you know, me just shouting down people. I wasn't shouting at all, but anyway, I just want you to know my heart, like this is an area of passion for me and deep conviction. And so I was talking out of that conviction. And uh, so I, I just want you to know that for whatever reason, just know that, have an amazing week. Enjoy this episode. We'll see you next time as we round up this whole Foundations series. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service today, we're we're going to um, we're going to wrap up this category, and I say category very loosely. Um, but this category of spiritual gifts or manifestations, and we'll talk about the meaning of those words again, just as a reminder today. We're just going to kind of wrap this section up. I want to read to you the scripture first. And then we'll just talk about a few things together. So if you have a Bible, you can open it and turn to 1 Corinthians 12. It'll be our primary text uh, for this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 and following. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us. I didn't want you to misunderstand this. Okay, so I'm just going to stop quickly. There is no systematic theology around spiritual gifts. The context of this 
letter from Paul to the Corinthians, actually the context of many of his epistles, is corrective in nature. So Paul is not laying out a systematic understanding and theology of every spiritual gift, and he doesn't even describe what they do. Some of them that we're about to read are only mentioned this one time in all of Scripture. So the purpose of Paul in talking about this is not to lay down some airtight, systematic understanding. It's to address the dysfunction that's happening in the church. So this, this, um, these nine that we're about to read are an ad hoc grouping. This is not Paul sitting down and saying, all right, I'm going to write down for you everything you need to know about the way the Spirit manifests itself in the life of the church. It's not what he's doing. He's addressing the specific issues that are coming up in the actual life of the church. He's doing the same thing in the book of Romans. He does the same thing in First and Second Timothy with the issues uh, around authority there. So I just want to clarify that the context of these gifts is not to say this is everything you need to know about them and how to lock it all down. This is Paul saying, here's the stuff I'm seeing that's not healthy in the life of the church. Contextually, what Paul is doing is confronting the influence of paganism in the church. So in Corinth, it was very, um, paganism was uh, extremely prevalent. And what Paul is doing is he's addressing the way that the pagan temple worship would take place. And he's saying, look, like, the, the, what's going on there? These ecstatic, so in pagan temple worship, people spoke in tongues. That's not unique to followers of Jesus. In pagan worship, people prophesied legit prophecy. The question that Paul is uncovering is you need to recognize the source of the power that you're tapped into. So that's the first question. He's not, he's not saying none of that exists and that's not real. He's saying it happens. But you're adopting the same practices. And when I come into your church, it's chaos. Everybody's doing everything all at the same time. And it's not edifying or building up the body. So Paul is addressing worship service kind of, of some loose structure for the service and saying, look, like when you're coming together, there needs to be a form and a function to this so that the body can be built up, not just everybody kind of hanging from the chandeliers and going crazy. That's what happens in the pagan temples. They work themselves up into this ecstatic sort of emotionally charged reality and the, out of that they prophesy or they speak in tongues and there's real power behind that there are things that were happening in the life of Corinth they still happen today you know um, I think a lot of people like a lot of mediums are probably just garbage but there are mediums that actually give legit prophecy and it comes from the kingdom of darkness so Paul is saying you got to recognize the source. He's here to address a problem that it's just like everything in the kitchen sink every Sunday. And nobody knows up from down or right from wrong. They don't, they don't know how to discern well what in the world is going on. So when this person speaks up, where is the source 
And what is the source of what is coming out of that person? If they speak prophetically, if they're speaking in a tongue, that's why Paul is saying, when you gather together, I don't want you all to just speak in tongues for the whole service because there's no way to discern what the source of that is. There's no way to go, ah, wait a minute, bro, you just came in from the pagan temple and now you're speaking in tongues. I don't know, like, there's no way to discern that. And so Paul is saying when you're gathered together, that's why he talks about the need for interpretation. Because it's in the process of interpretation that we can discern rightly the source of something. So the answer is not to shut down all of the gifts and just go, you know what, it's a mess. Yes, it is a mess. Paul was not advocating for the removal or the cessation of the gifts. He was advocating for boundary markers of discernment. If you're going to step into the things of the Holy Spirit, you have to learn how to discern the source. So he's not saying stop doing it. He's saying there needs to be some order and structure so that we can rightly discern the source of what is coming out, all right? Just a little context. So this is not a systematic lockdown list of gifts that Paul is giving us. This is a response to what's going on in the life of the church. He says, you know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Again, when Paul brings in his instruction that, especially with tongues, most of this is going to center around the dysfunctional use of tongues in the corporate body. Paul is saying, look, this is why we need interpretation in the public context. You can pray in the Spirit and you should till the cows come home in your private life. But if you're going to speak loud enough for the whole body to hear, then there needs to be interpretation because we need to discern whether this is actually happening. Is what, being, is what uh, that tongue is communicating, is it directing our attention to Jesus Christ? Is it exalting him? Is it worshiping him? Or is it actually not? And so this is what Paul is addressing. He goes on to say there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service. I want you to notice, and you can underline or circle these in your Bible if you want. So he's used a few terms here, and we're going to talk about these. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts with the same source. There are different kinds of service but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. He continues, a spiritual gift. Some of your translations may probably more accurately say a manifestation of the Spirit, right in that point, is given to each of us so we can help each other. All right, I'm just gonna stop again. I want to just quickly bring us back to a definition of terms, which is super helpful. I've found through this whole series, actually, as I continue to study, um, 
I'm too growing in, I think, how to understand and hold all of these things well. So these terms that Paul uses, um, gift, service, working, um, what's the other one that he uses there? Yeah, gift, service, working, those three, I believe are all descriptions of the same thing. And I actually have, um, Josh, can you throw up, there's that one, that one um, slide that kind of describes these things. So each one of these is not a unique description that we need to push to its maximum to differentiate from the other. Paul is using three different, not that one, Paul is using three different terms to talk about the, not that one, to talk about the same, the same reality. I probably didn't title these so well, so it's not Josh's fault, it's probably more my fault. Yes, that's great. All right, so these three words are describing the same reality. And I think that that reality is summed up in the word manifestation. A manifestation is an outward uh, response to something that's going on. A manifestation is something that you see, hear, feel, recognize uh, as evidence that there is something taking place. So what Paul is saying is that all of these things that he's talking about, every one of these quote-unquote gifts, these are not things that a far-off God kind of like just throws out to us. These gifts are not objects that God gives us like a, like a present on Christmas. These are not things that you and I possess by their very nature. These are the evidence and attribute of God himself. So what Paul is saying with the word manifestation is these are the ways that God works and operates within your life and within the church. These are not things that you have from him. These are the very evidence of his nature and his character at work. These are his presence. When God's presence shows up, these are the kinds of things that take place. So we need to, and I'm in this camp, we need to constantly be resetting ourselves. It's not, God, what is this thing that you've given me? But God, how do I open myself up to the reality of your presence and allow whatever manifestation you have for the good of my life and my family and my church to flow through me? So this is not about possessing something in particular. This is about walking in intimacy with the Father. These are the ways that the Father expresses who he is. And they show up in all kinds of ways. I don't say this harshly. I'm just, I, I want to just, this might help. When you seek to walk in the manifestations of God's presence, you're really seeking him. That's what you're doing. You're not seeking a thing that you can control and that you can operate. 
that you can possess. You're seeking him. When you reject and despise and ignore the gifts, the manifestations, you're ignoring him. Not a thing. You're actually rejecting the very presence of God. Paul says these are the evidences of his activity in your life. We don't all kind of operate in all of them all the time, but these are the evidences. So I want to just have you have a, a, like a cognitive shift here from gifts as a thing that God gives me, like a great birthday present, to gifts being the very presence of God himself working in and through me, manifesting in different ways. So we see in these ad hoc lists of Paul through scripture, we see that sometimes God manifests his presence in power. That's the, the very loose, and it's very loose category we're talking about. The ways that God supernaturally reveals himself in power. But God also supernaturally reveals himself in ways that serve and love and help and aid others. And they're all attributes of the Father. They're all attributes of the kingdom. That's why there's no hierarchy here. That's why the power gifts aren't to be over-sensationalized at the expense of the ways that God manifests himself supernaturally in you to love someone. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched in the middle here. The definition of spiritual maturity is not the power through which God flows in your life, it's your capacity to love your enemy. That's the definition. So these things, these manifestations have nothing to do with spiritual maturity. They have nothing to do with your piety or your holiness. They have nothing to do with you or me. And part of our problem it, Rob mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Part of our problem is, especially in the West, is we've made everything about us. We've exalted and elevated Christian leaders that display the power of God when behind the scenes, their lives are filled with a whole bunch of garbage. And we get entrapped because we like the sensational and we like the wow factor. And we end up following people that don't have the character to sustain the power. And bad things happen when that takes place. So these are not things that you and I possess as ours. These are expressions of the very presence and the nature of God. I want to move on from there. I'm going to keep reading. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can what? Help each other. Again, it's not about you. It's not about me. This isn't about drawing attention to ourselves or building our online audience or our influence. It's not about raising money or building ministry clout. These gifts are used, these expressions and manifestations of God's presence are used for the benefit 
of those around us, the benefit of others in the church. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. We're going to just quickly talk about each of these. Wise advice to another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. All right, I will stop there. Those two, uh, in some of your translations, it may say word of wisdom and word of knowledge. I have a working concept of what these are. Um, but we, this is the only place in Scripture these gifts are mentioned. Nothing else is mentioned about them. So anyone that wants to drive this too far, I just think we need to be careful with that. What I think Paul is making reference here to, and I would actually lump um, the prophetic gifting in this category. There's so many lines that are blurred, I think, intentionally here. I don't think we should press too hard to create very rigid definitions but all of these three things, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and prophetic insight are revelatory gifts from God. You could say it another way. They're the human, the human expression of divine revelation. So they're all three of these gifts are rooted in the Holy Spirit's revealing of things that would not otherwise be humanly known. Okay? So this works in different ways for different people. Um, in my own life, um, I would classify often what God is doing in me with maybe word of knowledge. I'm not sure about wisdom. <laughs> you could ask my wife about that. Um, but sometimes... And it's not all the time, but sometimes God will just, um, often it's names. He'll give me the name of someone specific. Someone I haven't been thinking about. It's, it's not somebody that's been on my mind. Uh, I have no idea what that means. What the, what he's, tr like the, the larger thing, he just will deposit a name sometimes. And in the times where I've tested this corporately, some of you have been around for some of that. Um, I'll just ask, is there anyone, you know, with this name? Sometimes after that first step, God will bring a little bit more clarity and it's successive like that. The last time, I think, maybe, I don't know, the last time I can remember or that comes to mind right now was a worship night. And um, often... I can recognize it's God's voice when I don't want to do it. So if I'm like, yes, like get me on this, then it's like, all right, pump the brakes here. This is probably you. You're a bit too excited about this. But often when I am kind of in fear and trembling and like, no, I don't want to take that risk, God, often I've found that it's his voice. And often I'll test what it is I think I'm hearing over many minutes of the service. So I'll just sit with that. And if that seems to not want to go away, um, then I try and be faithful and obedient. There was a name, and I don't even remember what it was. Um, there was a name that came to me uh, at a worship night, I think in the winter time. And near the end of the service, I just said, hey, everyone, I just feel like this name just just kind of jumped out to me. 
does this name mean anything to anyone? I don't know. Um, so a few people said, hey, yeah, my friend. And, you know, like there were a couple, but there wasn't like a bang on sort of like, yes, that was it. After a few minutes, a woman came up that I didn't know. And she said, that's the name of my husband. I've, they don't go here. I've never met them. That's the name of my husband. And between the last worship night and this one, he took his own life. We were able to, in that moment, just like we did today, call the body together to minister to someone who is suffering with very deep, deep grief. There was no fireworks or profound. It was an evidence of the care and the concern of God for his children. So often when these words of knowledge or revelation are coming, the purpose of those is for Jesus to minister to people. The purpose is not to draw attention to me or to uh, get into all kinds of weird stuff. The purpose is to fulfill the heart of God, to let somebody know beyond any natural means that I see you, I love you, and I care for you. It's amazing to watch what happens when God supernaturally reveals details about someone's life. The purpose is never to shame. It's never to condemn. It's never to bring judgment on that person. It's always to minister out of the heart of Jesus to them. So, but Paul doesn't give us this roadmap for how we're supposed to deal with this, what, you know, the description of what it is. So the prophetic gifting, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, I have a few very loose definitions for the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. Again, these aren't things that I want to press, um, but I do have a couple definitions just to maybe help you. Um, and we could try, um, Josh, throwing one of those up there. Let's see if we get the right one. It's like spinning the wheel of fortune. Um, so words of knowledge loosely would be in that category of information about something or someone very specific that you would have no human means to, to acquire. Okay? So not that one. Um, so <laughs> words of knowledge, not that one. Words of knowledge is going to be, if you're listening, if you will be listening on our podcast, this is much better in person than it is probably for you right now. Uh, as well, not that one. I think the title would be wisdom and knowledge or something like that. We'll get to miracles too, but that's not what we're talking about at this very moment. Um, so, what's that? I don't have it in there? Okay. Well, that, okay, so that one's on me. Anyway, words of knowledge being specific information that cannot be known or acquired through human means. Words of wisdom, again, I don't want to press this, but would be um, have a more strategic nature. 
So it's not just about making smart life choices. This would be the specific supernatural understanding of what to do next for someone. This is like, okay, here's how you now apply what God has revealed. Here's how you now walk into what God has revealed. I think those could be loose categories for this, but all three of these, knowledge, uh, wisdom, and the prophetic require a revelation from the Holy Spirit. And these all function in ways that bring a, a revealing of what can't be known by human means. This is part of the ministry of God on the earth. This is part of his presence. Nothing is unknown to God. So part of the way that he shows up in the life of the church is to bring things into the light so that he can equip and empower the body to join with him in bringing his kingdom to bear on those things. That's part of what those three are. Let's keep moving on here. The same spirit gives great faith to another and someone else, and to someone else, the spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to, to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all of these gifts or manifestations. He alone decides which gift each person should have. All right, just a couple other definitions in this power category. Faith. This is a tricky one. Paul here is not talking. Scripture kind of talks about three types of faith. Scripture talks about a saving faith. That's when we come to acknowledge our need for Jesus and our desire to submit to his lordship and authority in our life. That's not what Paul is talking about here. There's another kind of faith that's talked about in Scripture that's sort of the living out of trust on a daily basis to Jesus. It takes faith to trust him in your finances, faith to trust him in your life, with your decisions, with your future, with all kinds of things. It takes faith to follow Jesus on a daily basis. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Faith, I think I did see this one, Josh. Faith, in the context of this Corinthians passage, is a supernatural endowment of revelation and confidence that God is about to work supernaturally. This is like, uh, this is not a, I, I'm, I'm clinging to the promises of God and uh, you know, I'm just gonna keep saying it over and over. This is not mantra. This is the ability God gives certain people at certain times to discern with extraordinary confidence the will or purpose of God and his work. This is like, I've already seen what God is about to do. 
and I'm filled now with the Holy Spirit's a surging of faith because I've already seen it in spiritual places. This is why Jesus sometimes didn't ask the Father about healing or performing the miraculous because he was already seeing what the Father had intended. And then he was able to speak that out into reality. But I want to just caution us here. Faith is not just saying the right thing theologically over and over and over again. Faith is not just claiming a Bible verse over and over and over again until you're blue in the face. That's not what faith is in this context. This is a, a divinely given revelation of what God is about to do and the confidence, the supernatural confidence that he will follow through and fulfill that. We, we sometimes get into dangerous territory with faith when we think it's about our words and what we say. Our words have the power of life and death. They do. But it's our words in conjunction with the heart and the will of the Father that have the power of life. You can't speak life over someone that is in a hospital room about to die and just repeat the same thing over and over and over again and think that your words are going to do anything to bring them life. Our words have no power in them. It's only our words when they come into agreement with the will and the heart of the Father that they carry power. We, faith is not a cognitive exercise to stand on the truth of what we think we know. Faith is not us appropriating confidence superficially or falsely. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I had a cousin who was dying of leukemia. She was in her teens. I remember being at McMaster Children's Hospital as people quote unquote prophesied over her that she would live. My aunt and uncle uh, come from a church environment that doesn't even believe in healing, really. And certainly back then. They come from a very daughter is gravely ill. You cling to anything that gives you hope. And these people came in and they spoke prophetically and spoke incorrectly. She died. That's not faith, friends. That makes me angry that you would presume to speak on behalf of God when he hasn't given you a divine, a divine source of that faith, when he hasn't clearly shown you what is about to take place, what he's about to do. Never confuse our verbal words and our mantras of even scripture for this gift of faith that the Holy Spirit gives. He does give it at times. He does pour that out. And there are cases where God heals and restores and raises from the dead and does all kinds of amazing things. But that's not because you showed up and quoted scripture. It's not because you showed up and said, oh, I refuse to say the word cancer because I don't want to speak death. That's nonsense. 
Can I just say that really gently? Not acknowledging reality is not more spiritual. There is no power in the word cancer that I'm giving it when I acknowledge if that's what's true and what's happening. I'm not giving it authority and power. I'm not like, this isn't like, this isn't, we're not playing Christian sort of astrology here. Just by simply expressing that word out of my mouth, I'm not giving it authority and power. I'm acknowledging what's true. And I'm acknowledging what's real so that the person who's walking through that can face what's real and meet the real Jesus in the midst of that. Now, if he wants to heal the cancer, he can and he does. But your refusal to speak certain words is, is no more than just newspaper horoscope stuff. That's not faith. That's superstition. Jesus was able to fully acknowledge the reality of what was happening around him recognizing that he was carrying the reality of the kingdom and there is nothing that he cannot reverse or overturn. When, when uh, Mary and Martha tell him about his, you know, his good friend Lazarus, does he say, no, he's not really dead. I won't say that word because I don't want to contribute to that. No, he says he is dead. That's the truth. So let's just actually be honest about what's true. So much pain and so much hurt has happened in the life of the church because we use words carelessly on behalf of God. There's been so much grieving and heartache. Also because we fail to just acknowledge the reality of what is. It's not unspiritual to acknowledge the reality of what is. What happens when we refuse to acknowledge the reality of what is? Is we set people up for pain and disappointment. we actually block them from grieving properly. From just dealing on a deep heart and soul level with the gut-wrenching, heart-tearing pain of losing someone. Maybe you're here and you've lost children. Maybe you've lost children to tragic, unforeseen things. That is real. And the, the ministry of Jesus is not to stand on the side and go, oh, that, that didn't really happen. Or, uh, you know, consider it all joy. No. The ministry of Jesus is to enter into the deepest, darkest, broken recesses of our heart and begin to restore and mend and renew everything the enemy has meant to tear us apart. And he's built the body to be able to be a part of that. There are some times when the Holy Spirit comes 
and brings revelation that, that actually is a surge of faith because you know I've seen what God is about to do. That is beautiful. But there are other times when we need to enter into the reality of what is true and what is happening in front of us and partner with Jesus in bringing the ministry of his heart to heal and restore and renew. Telling somebody that they cannot acknowledge what is real is not helpful. The church of all places, of all places on the earth, needs to be the safest place for someone to grieve and lament and be angry at God and angry at what's happened. God is not intimidated by your anger. He's not threatened by your frustration. He's not at all worried about that. If you're struggling with this concept, just start reading many of the Psalms. Are David's real lament of what is really real around him. God is not going to reject that. That's actually the place where his presence shows up. All right, moving on. Uh, miracles. Uh, again, these are things that God does and that happen today. The special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to serve as human intermediaries through whom it pleases God to perform powerful acts that are perceived by observers to have altered the ordinary course of nature. We see these all through scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. When God suspends the natural laws and God operates in these ways that uh, defy our created world's sort of systems and orders and structures. Again, why does God do these things? To reveal his heart. To reveal his nature. We've talked about the prophetic at length. We're not going to talk anymore about that. We've also talked about tongues at length. So I don't want to take time to do that. You can listen back to those. I want to just... Uh, quickly just talk about discerning of spirits. Again, this is not just a human ability to um, be smart and, and wise. The discerning of spirits is the supernatural ability to know what the source of something is. It's the supernatural capacity to know whether the source is demonic, whether the source is Jesus and his kingdom, or the source is human. So we live in a broken, messed up world. And there's like so much going on all the time. We need to be very careful with how quickly we label something one thing or the other. So as a church, you know this, we believe that we're, we're in the middle. We're walking ambassadors for the kingdom of God in a world that's been captured and held hostage by the enemy. We are walking in a war zone, literally. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in war. There's a whole bunch of confusion. There's a whole bunch of things going on that we don't always have a very quick read on. So as a church, we believe that Satan has direct influence in the human race and the affairs of the earth. He does, but Satan is not behind everything. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean Satan's behind it. 
Just because you don't like what's happening in something politically or socially or whatever, it doesn't mean necessarily that that's satanic in its nature. In the same way, just because you're not comfortable with it doesn't mean that it's not God doing it. Our level of comfort is not the determiner of whether it's the Spirit of God or not. Our ability to be, uh, you know, feeling at ease and at rest with the things around us is not the determiner of whether it's actually legitimately a work of the Spirit of God. Whether you've seen it before is not. Your intellectual capacity to understand it is not the determiner of whether it's from the Spirit of God or not. You, I'll even say your theological understanding of Scripture is not the determiner. I'll just bring you back to Acts. Peter's on the roof. He has a trance. So that's weird to start with, okay? He has a trance where God absolutely shatters his theology, absolutely blows it apart. Everything that Peter had grown up to scripturally believe was true, God demolished in that trance. That was the opening of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. Everything that Peter was taught was not biblical, was not scriptural. God demolished. Your, your, your interpretation of scripture, mine interpretation of scripture is not infallible. What you think you know, sometimes you don't. And that's the same for me. So let's not be quick to just label things. Oh, that's from the devil. Some things are, but some things aren't. Some things are just human, and we're messed up. Some things that we're not comfortable with are legitimately God. So here's one of the things that we need to just add into this, is we need to examine the fruit of something. That's just one way Paul gives us to know, like, all right, outside of a supernatural revelation, like literally I see a demon or whatever, um, outside of that, we need to examine things by their fruit. Is this bringing glory to Jesus? Is this bringing the freedom, healing, and life that come with the kingdom of God? Is this, is this drawing attention to God? Is this fulfilling his heart to serve and minister to the broken and the hurting? Or is this actually drawing attention to myself? Is this elevating me or whatever the situation is? The fruit of something, Jesus says, is how you determine its source. Is the fruit of this consistent with Galatians and the fruit of the spirit of the kingdom of God? Is the fruit that this is producing leading me to greater peace and rest or anxiousness, anger, and frustration? That's how you determine, in part, some of these things. I think that's the last gift. I want to just end uh, with this. Why does God then release these power manifestations in the life of the church? As a church, I've said this to you, we believe that he does. And we want to be open and responsive to those. I thought this quote from John Thompson. He's a pastor at Sanctus Church in uh, Ajax, used to be uh, C4 Church. He says this, suffering invades and infects our own lives in so many ways. 
pain, disease, anxiety, loss, disappointment, failure, family breakdown, abuse, and the influence of the demonic. In all of this, the global human family dysfunction. Creation itself groans deeply in bondage, longing for freedom. Our suffering is experienced physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually, and spiritually, which are all connected and relational breakdown within ourselves, others, and God himself. God has given some among us gifts that help bring into now. I want you to just, I'm going to say that again. God has given some of us gifts that help bring into the now what's to come in the future. That taste of the future comes through the gifts of healing, works of power, and works of knowledge. The, the reason God still works in power is to reveal the reality of not only what's coming, but the availability of his kingdom today. The reason that God gives people prophetic revelation, words of knowledge, gifts of faith and miracles and discernment of spirits and tongues and all of these things we've talked about, the reason he does is to destroy the work of the enemy, to release people from captivity and bondage, to bring healing where there's been destruction and renewal where there's been a loss of life. What he's doing with his power, he's unleashing the reality of the kingdom and he's reversing everything the enemy has done to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not saying, wait till you get to heaven. He's saying, there are parts of this that I will allow you to live into now. We don't get to live into all of it. Not everyone gets healed. That's just reality. But we get to sometimes be a part of God's healing and restoration in someone's body physically. We get to be a part of him releasing people from demonic bondage. We get to be a part of the kingdom of God bringing wholeness and life where there's been brokenness and trauma and pain. God does this because he cares about you and me. So as messy as it can get sometimes, as intimidating as it gets sometimes, as little as we know about what we think we know theologically or doctrinally, we are committed to taking the risks necessary to say, God, we want you to manifest your presence in us and through us in ways that bring the reality of your kingdom to bear in the broken, torn up families and world that we live in. And here's the greatest news. This is like literally the good news. When Jesus comes, he brings his kingdom. He wants to bring it in your family. You don't need me or another pastor or famous evangelist or preacher Everything, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, every gift in heavenly places you have access to through the body. Our vision is not to build a church. Our vision is to release the kingdom in Niagara through people who are walking in kingdom authority and power, hum humility, and submission to God. 
That's our vision. I, don't, I could care less about how many people come here on Sunday. Our vision is to fill Niagara with people who are listening to the Spirit, who are taking risks of obedience and walking in the authority and power of the kingdom of God. People who would be willing to be used by God as he manifests his life and his goodness in their midst, on your streets, in your neighborhood on the soccer pitches and the baseball diamonds this summer. So here's a challenge I have for you. And uh, I feel like this is a good summer challenge. I wonder if you would be willing to walk your neighborhood once a week through the summer. Obviously, if you're gone, that's okay. I wonder if you'd be willing to walk your neighborhood once a week and do two things. Say, God, would you give me a heart for this neighborhood? And two, would you use me to bring your kingdom? I don't care how it is, but would you use me? I want to challenge you this summer to walk the street. What would happen in Niagara if hundreds of us were walking our neighborhoods and just saying, give me a heart, and use me. What would he want to do? These gifts in this ministry are not just for Sunday morning. They're for your life. They're for your neighborhood and your family. I want to challenge you with that, that this would be a summer where you actually begin to pray some bold, dangerous prayers. Walk your neighborhood, map out a route and figure it out. And just, you don't have to talk to anyone. I'm not telling you to knock on anybody's door. I'm not telling you to do the classic like, hey, let's just like evangelize. No, I'm telling you to listen to the Spirit and take some risks. If he invites you to pray something specific, just start praying it. If he invites you into a, a random conversation, fine, that's his leading. But I just want to invite you to do it and just see what he stirs in you and what he may invite you into over the course of the summer. Let's stand and I'll pray as we close. So now, God, we, we know that these things, these manifestations of your power are not things that we can hold like, you know, a ball or a bat. These are things that are the evidence of your very presence in us. And so now, Father, I ask that you would release these into your body. I ask that you would release the ministry of your presence in and through us. Father, I'm asking that you would begin to reclaim and recapture the Niagara region for the kingdom of God. I'm asking, Father, that you would begin to reverse the damage that the enemy's done in people's marriages and in their families and in their homes, in the areas of human sexuality and in mental health areas, all of these things. Would you begin, Father, to bring your kingdom not through a preacher on a stage, but through people on the street? Would you begin, Father, to just call us first to just walk and listen to you? Would you begin to just ignite in us something that is so deep we can't even describe it or accept explain it, but uh, the depth of the spirit within us, I just call that into being now in each person under the sound of my voice. Father, would you set us ablaze 
with your presence. Jesus, would you, and I know you will, would you walk the streets of our neighborhoods with us and talk to us about what's going on and what your hope is and what your heart is. Father, would you start in the little places of our lives? Pray your blessing on each person here. In Jesus' name, amen.